Standby playback. And now, live, real red meat radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. We call this Conspiracy Theory Thursday because historically this just seemed like the time of the day of the week where we heard all the conspiracy theories drop in. Doesn't mean I have a fresh one for today. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. I will tell you this. couple of developments on some major issues we've covered in the last few days. Number one, the state of Texas has said, as we told you yesterday, okay, Supreme Court, Customs and Border Protection has a right to cut all that razor wire, and we are going to put up as much razor wire as we possibly can. As fast as they cut it, we're going to put it back up. And the governor of Texas has said, my state has a right to defend itself. If the federal government and Joe Biden in particular have decided that they are going to abrogate their own responsibility to actually safeguard the security of all the states, that's what the Constitution says, that every single state has a right to expect that the federal government will safeguard the borders of this country and they're not doing it, then Texas is going to do it on its own. And guess what? The people are speaking loudly and clearly. There are now 24 states in America that have stood up and said, we're standing with Texas, not with Joe Biden. Joe Biden is laying waste to this country. It's got to stop. And that is one new development. 24 states standing with Texas. Second, about Arizona. And I'll tell you something, the deafening silence from Ronna McDaniel, the chair of the GOP, the National Republican Party, is absolutely stunning because she needs to come out and she, we've asked for an interview. We'd like to get her on the program. But if you haven't heard already, because it's been one of the bigger stories of the week, Carrie Lake running for the U.S. Senate. And then the Daily Mail out of Great Britain runs a piece of audio in which some, the head of the Republican Party for Arizona offers bribes to Carrie Lake to drop out of the race. Now, the tape was made March of last year. Why is that important? Because the head of the Republican Party of Arizona, who's now resigned his job, he was offering her, we can find you a job with a good paycheck. Just take a two-year break, come back and run for public office later. He said, when you do, until you do, we'll provide you with a job, some nice money, just name your number. And then he said, plus, we represent all the big money people back east. His words, not mine. And if you do what they say, if you're on their team, as he put it, which means cooperating with the deep state and the people on the private side who make a lot of money that way, if you'll go and get on the team, we'll provide you with a job. We'll be able, you'll be able to make a paycheck for the next couple of years. Don't run for the U.S. Senate. That was the offer March of last year. Well, as I said, that guy is now resigned, but that doesn't end the matter. I think laws were broken. When you offer somebody a bribe to drop out of a race for public office, and when that bribe doesn't come from the other side, it actually comes from within the Republican ranks or people who at least consider themselves Republicans but have a lot of money. And they say, we want Kerry Lake out of the way. 
They also want Donald Trump out of the way. That's why Nikki Haley has been getting lots and lots of money. It's why she was able to spend, what was it, $134 million between Iowa and New Hampshire to have her finish third in Iowa and uh, second in a two-person race in New Hampshire. Yeah, that's where the big money is. They represent the deep state. They want things to be go along, get along. They are scared to death. And usually we talk about how the Democrats are scared to death of Donald Trump because Donald Trump says, I'm going to act in the best interest of the American public. I'm going to dismantle the deep state. Well, guess what? When there are big money interests that say, we don't want Trump, we'd rather have Joe Biden reelected than have Trump. And when they say, we want Carrie Lake out of the way as well, that should be investigated and if there's a criminal violation, it should be investigated by the Justice Department, although, frankly, I don't trust Merrick Garland or Joe Biden at all. It should also be uh, investigated by state officials in Arizona. But it should also be investigated by the Republican Party. Ronna McDaniel should make sure that she finds out who are these big money donors that wanted to bribe Kerry Lake to get out of the race. Now, whether you like Kerry Lake or not doesn't matter. You know what does matter? that you don't have big money interests that control American politics. And if you say, Lars, that's hopelessly naive. No, but every time we find an instance like this, like the fact that back when Hillary Clinton was running for the nomination to run against Donald Trump and lose, as she always does. Well, guess what? Bernie Sanders was also running. And I am not a Bernie Sanders fan. But when the Democrat Party conspired within its own ranks to cheat Bernie Sanders, whether I like his positions or not, and say, no, Bernie, it doesn't matter how much you've been able to raise in a grassroots effort. It doesn't matter how much public support you have. We are going to cheat you and voters and Americans of the opportunity to afford American voters a choice. They said, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to anoint Queen Hillary instead. Even if it's done by a private organization like the DNC, I think that has to be investigated. It has to be stopped. And I'll remind you of one other thing. When there were documents, emails in particular, that got leaked out, and everybody had a theory, it was the Russians, it was this, it was that. But they leaked out of the Democrat Party, and they did some damage, and they showed the cheating that went on. Do you know who I suspect did that? That was people within the Democrat Party who saw what was happening to Bernie Sanders. Again, I'm not a fan, but that doesn't matter. If I believe in the American system of choosing leaders, then I've got to believe in doing it the right way, whether it's candidates I like or candidates I don't like. And I really don't like Bernie Sanders. I, I'd be scared to death of the prospect of, of being president. Still and all, having said that, if you decide we're going to decide from you know, closed behind closed doors in back rooms, who gets to run? That same crowd that would cheat Bernie Sanders of a legitimate shot at the nomination, and he had a legitimate shot, he was cheated of it. That same crowd is the same kind of thinking that would look at Donald Trump and say, Donald Trump is not going to be good for the go-along, get-along uniparty. You know, the one where a lot of people make a lot of money, People hang on to power by using the power of their office, by using the power of the parties to try to make sure they engineer the result. Those are people who don't believe in America's system of government. The system of government we have, whether you think we're doing it perfectly and we're not or not, the fact is we have a government that governs with the consent of the governed. 
And when there are political parties or people within government who use the parties or the government to cheat American citizens and voters of their right to choose their own leaders, that has to stop. So I got got that off my chest, so I feel much better now. Glad to have you with me on a Thursday. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every single day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Our poll on X used to be called Twitter. Do you want your kids' teachers armed? Would you feel safer or more concerned? I'd feel safer. And a school in Sioux City, Iowa, is now telling parents they're going to arm teachers so they can respond to any kind of threat that comes to that school. Find the poll on X at Lars Larson Show and always brought to you by AMAC. Go to a great conservative group, not AARP. They're a loser. A-M-A-C Coming up in just a moment, a bipartisan fiscal commission to lower spending. Is that a good idea? We'll talk about it next. wonder what a vegan actually is? They say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart, just like vegans. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you and always glad to take your phone calls and your emails. Now, I'm going to warn my friend Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, normally when I hear politicians say, we've got this huge problem, so we're going to have a commission or we're going to have a task force. Or we're going to have a website. I mean, I usually ridicule those ideas because in most cases, they don't really become much of anything. And they certainly don't solve the problem. Uh, is this new idea to have a fiscal commission to try to lower spending by the United States government? Is it a worthy idea? First, it's not a new idea. We've had quite a few of them and they've all been disasters. Uh, so it is actually an actively bad idea not just for what the commission might decide or what Congress might do with what the commission recommends, but having the commission itself, apart from the $12 million cost, right? These are congressmen and senators who already get paid, who already live in D.C., who meet each other every day, and now they're going to fly out to different places and have meetings for $12 million um, to secretly come up with tax increases that they don't want to talk to you about when you're watching. Wonderful. And and the team at the head, I, I'm guessing, though, the head is Mittens Romney from Utah, a senator, and Joe Manchin, um, kind of conservative Democrat from West Virginia, and they call it a bipartisan commission. Is that Washington, D.C. speak for bipartisan commission, Mittens and Joe Manchin? That is exactly what they think of as bipartisan. Both of them are advocates of higher taxes, both of them are advocates of bigger spending. Um, and it, it's really odd. Here you have Romney, who's leaving the government. He's ran for Thank Senate, God. didn't accomplish anything in six years, which is good, I guess. Um, and uh, now he wants, as a Parthian shot, to stab Trump in the back in the middle of the campaign. What will this commission do? This commission is to have like eight Republicans and eight Democrats, and the commission has to have three Republicans agree with the Democrats, and then it can 
send something to Congress, okay? So let's see if Romney's on the commission, if Manchin's on the commission, and if there's one guy in the House who's been advocating this is on the commission, that's your eight right there. Doesn't matter who the Republicans pick otherwise. The Democrats will not pick anyone who is not following leadership's orders. Uh, And that is get more tax increases and any uh, spending restraint is going to be phony and temporary. And this is what's happened before. We may remember they did this to Reagan. A Republican did this to Reagan, Bob Dole, uh, in 1982, said we got $3 of spending cuts for every dollar of tax increase. At the end of the day, the taxes passed. We are still living with them. The spending cuts never happened. It wasn't like they got less than they'd promised. We got nothing and spending went up more rapidly after this deal than before. Then eight years later, George Herbert Walker Bush was a cheaper date. He was offered two imaginary dollars of spending cuts for every dollar of tax increase. And worse, that deal was designed to break a spending limit, which was holding down spending. So (laughs) it wasn't, gee, we got spending limitation in return for tax increase. We got a tax increase and fake spending cuts to break a real spending limit, uh, Graham Rudman, which had been put into place. And the Democrats didn't want to live with it anymore. They were tired of that. Um, and so they broke it and we spending went up. Then only during Obama years, when he wanted two trillion in more uh, debt ceiling, the Republicans, who had almost all signed the pledge never to raise taxes, said, we need two trillion in spending cuts. And Biden and uh, Obama said, you mean budget uh, deficit reduction, right? Meaning spend tax increases. Nope, spending cuts. And Obama went to the very end of that meeting, uh, to, to the end of those meetings, like people who don't realize they're about to be executed. You know, he just kept thinking, <laughs> said, denying, you must mean uh, tax increases, right? Deficit reduction. And eventually we actually got the spending restraint and a cap on spending, which really cut in and really did what we'd hoped it would do. No, not enough, you know. Uh, but it lasted a decade, and we got that. Uh, this is an effort to go around the fact that most Republicans have promised never to raise taxes because they're going to hand you a fair complaint and a handful of Republicans and the Democrats could pass this bill. They, uh, and they want five days. This commission is going to come up with, oh, I'm sorry, there's a new word, by the way. When Bush what was is- president, Bush 41, it was revenue enhancement. Not tax Taxes. increases. Taxes. Revenue enhancements, yep. which look a lot like tax increases. Uh, the new one, which I had never heard before, was revenue reform. Oh. Revenue reform. That's less scary. And, of course, it means tax increases. And we Googled it. UN and IMF documents use it. So this is some European euphemism for tax increases that they're pretty sure no one in America has heard before. I mean, because calling it reform means it can go any direction. Every time I hear somebody yeah. say, I'm going to I'm going to reform the police department, I'm going to reform the uh, state government. 
it, it, it doesn't mean anything because it can go any direction you want it to go. Kind of like climate change. When they figured out that global warming wasn't happen, they say, what can we call it where anything that happens, we can call it climate change? Oh, I know we'll call it climate change instead of calling it global warming. Because when you call it global warming and it doesn't warm up, then that doesn't work. But if you call it climate change, heck, a sunny day can be climate change. A snowy day can be climate change. Everything is climate change, right? Too much rain and drought, climate change, both. <laughs> so what's the answer uh, to that? I mean, favorite, what, what is the yeah. best way to, to push back at this and say this is a waste of okay. time? It's going to be used for pol- politics in a presidential election year. It's not going to do any good. What, what can the Freedom Caucus do about this? Sunlight, sunlight, sunlight. Talk to your congressman. Tell them that you see this coming. Tell them you don't want to have a tax increase and you're not going to give them... We're not going to believe them if they say, oh, we have to do this now. It's the only option, having created this um, uh, this commission. Uh, This this is an outrage. This is Congress not doing its job. Uh, And we know how this ends. We have played this game before again and again and again. They always come up with real tax increases and non-existent or fake or completely temporary spending restraint. And let um, me guess, let me guess, Grover. So you have two and people need to understand the mechanics of this. Two thirds of the federal budget is entitlements. There are a lot of people who don't like that term. I don't care. I mean, when they when they call me to gripe and say, you can't call my Social Security entitlements. I said, well, are you entitled to it? Yes, that's why they call it entitlement. So get used to it. It's it's a it's a description like illegal alien. Are they illegally in the country? Are they foreign nationals? They're illegal aliens. I don't care if you call them unregistered Democrats or what. So if you say, look, we have to get at this, two-thirds of the budget is off limits because, and I'm I'm willing to bet this fiscal commission is going to say nothing about those two-thirds and do nothing but window dressing on the other one-third they could actually touch, right? Yeah, well, what I think is the most likely to happen is this is going to happen in the middle of a presidential race. This is supposed to come out and uh, announce this stuff um, a couple weeks after the election. So this could come out quickie vote. Let's say Trump wins. It could come out quickie vote um, before Trump's in office, between. Or, more likely, some Republican will say, I think we should cut Social Security during this. Matter of fact, one of the people is going to man the commission has already told me that's their plan. Okay. Um, and this will be leaked two months before the election uh, so that everybody who does early voting can have a hundred billion dollars of ads explaining that this commission, the, the Republic, it'll be the Republican plan, by the way, one jerk will say this Romney will come out for this and this will be the Republican plan. Remember what they did to poor Tim Scott. Yes, I do. Came up with a hundred ideas one of them was, gee, why don't we raise taxes on more people? Uh, not a very wise move on his part, but it was his personal thing that he did. Nobody other than him agreed to that. And yet, for four months, the press said, this is the Republican plan. Doesn't make any sense. That's Grover Norquist. Thank you, Grover. The Lars Larson Show.
least someone has a plan for illegal aliens. Back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and begin the largest deportation operation in American history. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, I mentioned at the top of the hour that about 24 states have now said that they're going to take Texas side in this fight between Joe Biden and uh, the federal government, which has decided under Joe Biden that the border will be open and we will let in literally millions of illegal aliens, 10 million so far in this next year, probably another couple of million. And if there were to be a second Biden term, I think that's highly unlikely. But if there were probably another 10 or 12 million people, then changing everything in America. And I know there are people who say, well, you don't like it because it's brown people. I don't care. I love having immigrants in this country. I respect immigrants. People who flood across your border illegally are not immigrants. In the same way that if somebody comes to your house tonight at your invitation, they are a guest. If somebody shows up at your house at 2 o'clock in the morning uninvited and comes in anyway, they are not a guest. They are a criminal. That's an easy way to see the whole situation. Well, guess what? Donald Trump is now telling the states, send the National Guard. And I think it's a fantastic idea. In fact, I can remember almost 30 years ago on the subject of illegal aliens and immigration, or so-called. In the 90s, we had maybe five, 600,000 people illegally crossing our border. Now we've got millions every year. And at the time, I said, well... If every National Guard unit in America has to do one weekend a month, two weeks every year, why don't we have every single state that is so inclined, in this case you've got 24 states that say they back Texas, why don't you say we're going to have our National Guard go down and do their two weeks a year. We're going to do them on the southern border. There is going to be such a presence on that border, illegal aliens would be crazy to try to come across. I think it's not a bad idea, and it's already in the budget. You're already paying for it right now. Anyway, welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. I always take naysayers to the head of the line, as long as they're willing to answer a couple of questions from me. Now, uh, if you want to vote in our X poll, used to be called Twitter, now it's X. Do you want your kids' teachers armed, and would you feel safer or more concerned? I vote for safer. In that case, you can vote any way you like. The question is brought to you on X by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. It's amac.us to make it easy. Or you can call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better. Better for you and better for America. Let's go to Greg first, and if you want to jump in, it's 866-439-5277. Hey, Greg, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Thanks for having me on. Sure. I just wanted to touch on the fact that there's a lot of talk in the media these days about the degradation of our democracy, and I just would like people to know that the United States is not a full-blown democracy. We're actually a constitutional republic. And we are. When we went to school. When we went to school, we had to pledge allegiance to America and to the republic for which it stands. Yep. And I just like for you to maybe explain to people the difference between a democracy and a republic, because I don't think they teach that in the grade schools, the high schools, or at the college level anymore. In the and, and it does come I, I in case even, you, if you listen regularly, Greg, you know this question or comment comes up regularly. 
And I tell people, they say, well, well, aren't we a democracy? I keep hearing that and say, no, we're a federalist republic, meaning we're a federal system where certain enumerated powers in theory are are given to the federal government and everything else goes to the states or to the individual citizens. Now, the federal government has overstepped its bounds about six ways from Sunday. So but having said that, that's the way the system is supposed to work. And then uh, the the elements of democracy that we have, because I don't know if you remember this or not, but a long time ago, before my time, there was a time when state legislatures would choose our members of Congress. And uh, and you say, okay, hold on. So you've got this system where the direct vote of the people is diffused a little bit. But there are still elements of democracy. We vote in presidential elections, but that's that vote does not elect the president. The Electoral College elects the president because if it was a direct vote, Greg, the decision would be made by the 10 biggest cities in America. And they'd, and they'd elect people who would cater to the 10 biggest cities or 12 biggest cities in America. Instead, it's made by everybody. So where Wyoming has a very small population by comparison to California, Wyoming has uh, electoral college votes out of proportion to what its population represents. So it's a complicated way of saying they, they engineered a system because the founders of the country looked at the 13 colonies and they feared that the big cities would decide the presidency and they didn't want that. So they made a system that I, I think has worked very well. I, I, okay, and then to hit on that, exactly. I mean, I understand it. it, it I, I don't think a lot of other people do understand that, but there's a lot of talk about the transgenders and minorities being being you know hacked out but if they don't if they're if they're not able to have individual rights which is in a republic how do they how do they think that that having more democratic rights is going to help them it's not all it gives you is the illusion that you have control and sadly because i'm very proud of our system it's lasted a long long time we have the greatest number of liberties in this country you can, and in fact, one of the regular challenges I throw down, Greg, is I'll tell people, name me a place on planet Earth that has greater liberties than the United States of America. Now, you know the state, the places right. where you don't have any liberty, uh, Venezuela, Cuba, China, North Korea. Uh, but, but even then, even when you get past those to the more Western style countries like, uh, Great Britain or Canada or France, and you say, well, they have liberties like we do. No, they don't. If you take a look at their speech liberties, religious liberties, uh, uh, firearms liberties, which are based on defending us, defending us citizens against a tyrannical government, which makes perfect sense. Those people don't have those liberties. Americans enjoy the greatest God-given liberties. And that very idea that, that we have these liberties because we're made in the image of God, you know, that God created us. And those liberties come from God. And there are a lot of people who call this show who try to reject that idea. They say, no, liberty doesn't come from God. Your freedoms like First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third, Fourth, Tenth, uh, all come from somewhere else. And, and when you ask them, well, where do they come from if they're not God-given rights? You say, well, they're from the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't grant a single right. The Constitution is a limit on what the government can do in taking away your liberties. But your liberties actually originate elsewhere. And the only place, as far as I'm concerned, where they're secure is if they're God-given rights. 
if uh, Russia says citizens have rights that the government decides to give to citizens, anything they grant you, they can also take away. And and, and they can take them away on a whim. And they're also crazy. Okay. Constu- Go ahead. Hey, can I just say one more thing? And, that, and, it, uh, it, and it's very important on both sides. So if you and I are a gun owner and... 51% of the people say in a, in a liberal county like Portland has, if 51% of the people say, well, we, we don't want you to own guns, we should be able to maintain the right to, to have to have gun, individual right to have a gun. And by the same token, if you were, say, a transgender and you wanted to use whatever bathroom you wanted to use, it, it, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, yep. If it was left, if it was left to direct, direct democracy really only works as a form of government in very, very small communities. Think about a a tiny town in Vermont where they can all get together and they and they they can have a vote and we'll all vote on mayor, on sheriff, on police chief. We'll vote on every major issue that comes up. You could have a direct democracy in a very, very tiny community, but you would also have the tyranny of the majority. Greg, thanks for the call. Back in just a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Hi. Every Thursday, pleasure to be with you and always glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Naysayers go to the head of the list, and it's always fun as long as they stick around for questions. And it's great to welcome back to the program our friend Seton Motley, the president of Less Government. Seton, how are you? Hey, man, how are you? I'm doing all right, although I spent part of the uh, earlier part of the hour talking to Grover Norquist at Americans for Tax Reform about this crazy Mitt Romney, Joe Manchin nonsense about we're going to have a commission, a spending commission. And and I think Grover's right. He says it's just a scam to try to get another tax increase passed. They're not going to cut anything. And I, I figured that was right in your lane. Well, you know, it's it's the unspoken assumption. Whenever they say we need to raise taxes is we're spending every cent we get already wisely and well. That's the unspoken assumption. And, of course, we know that's absurd. And so, yes, all of these commissions, the default position, that's why you never wanted a uh, constitutional amendment to balance the budget. Because I'm reminded, I, <laughs> I ran a county judge race in Travis County, Austin, Texas, and I audited their budget for 13 years. And the way they could issue debt was certificates of obligation, and that was like for emergencies only, but that's not how they used them. They go through the budget process, yes, 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 no, yes, yes, yes. And they go, how much are we short this year? Okay, write a certificate of obligation for that much. Are you kidding? That's, no, that's no, they did it for 13 years. The county was a quarter, and this was in 2002, the county was a quarter of a billion dollars in debt. Wow. And that was not, not, not even, that wasn't the total debt. That was the debt they accrued in 13 years that I looked at. A county, quarter of a billion dollars in debt in 2002. And that's what they did. They just went through and there was no examination of spending from a do we need to spend it. They said yes most of the time. They said no occasionally. And then at the end of the year, whatever they were short, they just you know put it on the credit card. And everybody else ends up happy out of it. See, see I don't think this is the way average folks or even a little bit above average folks 
you know, run their lives. I mean, if you're running a small company and one of your people comes to you and says, look, we got to buy some new equipment and you, you know, write a check for a certain amount of equipment. And then they come back and they say, I need more money. And you say, what'd you do with the first 10,000 I gave you? And they say, well, it it got spent on a bunch of stuff, but you don't want to bother yourself with those details. Just write another $10,000 check. Only an idiot would say, oh, sure, I'll give you some more money. I don't know that I don't know whether you spent the first 10 grand, uh, you know, wisely or not. And the same thing people do with their kids, you know, junior or Sally comes to you and says, hey, I need 50 bucks for Friday night. Well, I gave you 50 bucks earlier this week. What'd you do with it? Oh, I spent it on some stuff. You know, that nobody accepts that kind of bookkeeping, do they? And we also can't carry $34 trillion in debt on our household budget. Uh, that's part of it is they just keep piling up debt and piling up debt. This is the federal equivalent of the certificates of obligation. They just, they, they spend, they spend, they spend, and whatever they want, they occasionally say no. They almost always say yes. And then at the end of the year, they go, oh, what are we short? $2 trillion? Okay, put it on the tab. And yeah, put it on the tab, or in this case, Mittens and Joe Manchin are saying we, we're going to—they're going to come out with a tax increase. Let me ask you. Speaking of debt, uh, you wrote about uh, for less government. You wrote about the massive amount of debt that Americans have taken on. We made note of of the you know when it passed a trillion dollars, and now it's substantial. Yeah. It's above that, right? Seaton, I think we might have lost his call, but. He is long distance. Let me see if we can get him back, because I'm curious. Seaton, are you there? Nah, sounds like we lost him. What? But what he wrote about, Americans have an absolute mountain of credit card debt, $1.079 trillion to be exact. Ordinarily, the numbers to the right of the decimal point are not all that significant. But in this case, that's $79 billion on the right side of the decimal point, and it's $1,000 billion on the left side. And the average credit card rate right now is 27.79%. And no indication that that's going to go lower anytime soon. So consider the kind of disaster that people are going to be up against should those rates actually go even higher than they were. So, Seton, I told people about what you wrote and all this mountain of debt. What's going to happen to this? Well, what I looked at, well, what's going to happen is it's just going to, they keep, the credit card companies a couple of years ago were caught raising the limits on the credit cards without telling the people for whom they were raising the limits. Um, you'd think they want to have that conversation with the customers first. But what, what I looked at specifically was you can charge a million dollars a month on your debit card, which is your money and your account that you already have, and it, you, your credit score doesn't go up. But if you borrow money on a credit card from the credit card company and only pay back a tiny fraction each month, your credit goes up. So what they've done is they've rigged the entire system to funnel everybody into the credit card system, uh, the credit card debt trap. And by the way, it also occurred to me later on in the week, you notice when you pay rent, your credit score doesn't go up. But if you get a mortgage and owe the the banks, you know, for 30 years, hey, your credit score goes up. So everything is geared towards the big big banks getting your money on credit and and that's the only way you can raise your credit score. It's completely obscene, and that's how you get to a trillion. Well, I, okay, know. the only place I dis- I've been helping them on brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and uh, they said, we want to raise our credit rating. And I said, here's what you do. I said, get yourself a, a card. Oh, no, we don't believe in cards. I said, okay, do it this way. Get a card. When you buy groceries, you're going to buy groceries. Buy them on the card. 
and then pay it within 30 days because it was stuff you're going to buy anyway. When it's gasoline, buy it on the card. When there are other necessary purchasers, but if you just always say, I will charge it and then I will pay it back within 30 days, um, hopefully sooner than that, um, then then you build credit because it's the illusion. But that's that's my point. But that's my point. If you already have the money in your bank account, Right. And you use your money on your debit card, it's not reported to the credit bureaus. Right. Because That's there's absurd. no risk. No, because there's no... I mean, I understand part of their argument is there's no risk. If you say, if I give you 10,000 credit on a card seat, and you go, wow, let's go to France. You know, let's have a great time. Because you're borrowing money, and they want to see, do you borrow it and pay it back? Or do you just borrow it and not pay it back? And they want to know how well, how well how you do. How about if you earn money and you pay and you pay for yourself as you go? You're a good credit risk because you earn money. And as you point why out, they the don't give you position. Why is the default position you have to borrow money to earn credit? That's Except absurd. if you don't pay any interest on the money you're borrowing, because if I put something on on a card and I pay my cards off. If, if I borrow it, you know, I, I pay grocery, I buy groceries and gasoline and stuff like that. And 20 days later, I pay it off and they don't charge me any interest. I still build credit, but I do it with my own money. And I think that's the way to get it done. Get, get a card with zero interest, pay it off every month. Seton, thank you very much. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. the greatest okay it's a nice ride it's going to happen stand by playback i know Lars. real red meat radio i may be a white boy but i'm not stupid this is the lars larson show somebody at the white house has been smoking the devil's lettuce honestly provocative talk radio more than half the women in my cabinet more than more than half the people in my cabinet more than half the women in my administration are women our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen this is a dark day now here's your host almost lost my wife my 67 corvette and my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. We all know that if the Democrats didn't have double standards, they'd have no standards at all. And the latest example of that is Peter Navarro. I want to tell you about Peter Navarro. He's been a guest on this program before. He became part of the Trump administration before day one, and he stayed until after Donald Trump had left the government. Peter Navarro has now been sentenced to four months in jail for contempt of Congress. Now, get that. And you say, well, hold on, Peter Navarro, he's getting four months because he wouldn't go along with that crazy January 6th investigation, that dog and pony show, that kangaroo court that the Democrats had engineered, saying we're going to have a committee that's both Democrats and Republicans chosen by Democrats. What could possibly go wrong? Now, Navarro was the White House trade advisor in the Trump administration. As I said, he's been on this program. He is about as level-headed as anybody you've ever met who works in the government. It's important to note, though, uh, there are some key Democrats who've been held to account without spending any time inside jail. For example, Eric Holder who was at one point the Attorney General of the United States. I think he was corrupt. He was held in contempt of Congress about a decade ago, 2012. Jail time, zero. And you've got Biden Administration Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, has repeatedly refused to testify in a case that could lead to his impeachment. 
he's getting a pass as well. So how much sense does it make when you see that you only get punished if you're a conservative who does wrong? And even in the case of Navarro, I wouldn't say he necessarily did wrong. When you tell this kangaroo committee that was put together by the Democrats, do you remember when the Democrats said, we're going to put our members on the committee? And for the entire history of the U.S. Congress, going back to the founding of the country, every single time one of those committees had been put together to do an investigation, it included members of both parties, chosen by both parties, so you could at least get a different point of view. In this case, the Democrats chose the members from both sides of the aisle, completely biasing it. And then, as I told you the other night, the J6 committee, right before Republicans came in as the new majority in the House, they destroyed about a 100 cyber-protected documents. They decided to erase them all together so nobody could ever see what was inside them. This is a government run by thugs, as far as I'm concerned. In any case, glad to have you with me on a Thursday. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. We always tell Nate sayers that you're welcome on this show if you differ with my point of view i'd be glad to put you to the head of the line and we've done that for more than a quarter century so 866-439-5277 send your emails to talk at larslarson.com and our poll on x what we used to call the twitter poll do you want your kids teachers armed and would you feel safer or would you be concerned the story comes out of sioux city iowa and the school district there has told parents they saw what happened uh, earlier uh, this year in, um, in Iowa, and they understand that there are threats that come to public schools. And I've put this to people for a couple of decades. Where and how do you see every major institution in America that has something important to protect, and how could it get more important than our kids, how do you see them protected? You go to sports stadiums and you see armed security. You go to shopping malls, not always, but oftentimes armed security. Go to a bank, go to any kind of important building, and you will find armed security. And then the one place in America you typically don't see armed security is public schools. Does that make any sense? When every other institution is protected by armed security, except the schools. Now, that's not true in every state. Missouri has armed teachers for a good long time. There are a few states that have actually been sensible about it. Well, now the schools in Sioux City, Iowa, have said we are going to arm teachers. And again, these are going to be teachers in every single case. The schools don't force a teacher to carry a gun. If you go out as I've gone out and talked to teachers and say if they allowed teachers to carry a gun, would you be willing to take on that kind of responsibility? And it's a, it's an enormous responsibility to carry a gun in a place that is filled with vulnerable people, meaning children. There are only some teachers that would say, we've decided that we want to uh, arm our teachers. Well, in this case, it's the Siouxland Christian School, the letter that came from the school, from the superintendent, Lindsay Larrick, said that armed staff are trained to go directly to the threat and would allow teachers and students to get into safe positions and provide an active response until law enforcement arrives. It came just days after a deadly shooting elsewhere in the state of Iowa. 
Two people, including the principal, were killed in that earlier school shooting. Six others injured after gunfire broke out at Perry High School. And authorities identified 17-year-old Dylan Butler as the shooter. He died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot. A coward who kills and then kills himself. But this Christian school, Siouxland Christian School in Sioux City, Iowa, said, we're going to protect the kids with guns. As far as I'm concerned, there are public and private schools that should offer the same kind of protection to every single child in their care. And if the blue states want to go otherwise, I want to tell you something. My friend John Lott, who's an economist by training, but he's the guy who runs the Crime Prevention Research Center. He will tell you all day long that 94% of all mass shootings in America in the last 40 years happen in so-called gun-free zones. Meaning gun-free zones, while they are a tiny fraction of the entire landscape of America, they are the places where the, where the mass shootings happen on a regular basis. Where do shootings typically not happen? They only happen about 6% of the time in places where law-abiding citizens are allowed to carry guns. So, do you want your kids' teachers armed? Would you feel safer or more concerned? I'd vote for safer. Today's poll on X is brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined the group, and you should too. Don't even think about AARP. They're a loser liberal group of people. AMAC will actually represent your conservative point of view. You can also call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. Glad to be with you. And if you want to send emails, I love the emails I get. In fact, I was just looking for one that came in today. Anna from Alabama wrote to me and said, Lars, just a note to get something off my mind. The reason Biden's handlers want everything, and I mean everything, running off of electricity, writes Anna from Alabama, is so the Chinese can pull the plug on the U.S. power grid and hold us. We'll not even be able to move around in vehicles that aren't EV that are presently run off electricity that will be under Chinese control. All this BS has nothing to do with climate change, everything to do with Biden helping the Chinese government take over the United States of America. Thank you, signed Anna from Alabama. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And coming up in a moment, from SHOT Show, the Shooting Honey Outdoor Trade Show, we're going to talk to our friend Bob Barr, the upcoming president of the NRA. That's next. And now, this musical message to anyone who wants to indoctrinate our school children. Hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and it's a real pleasure to welcome our friend Bob Barr, the upcoming president of the board at the NRA. He served as elected first vice president uh, for his time, and now he becomes the president of the group, not just yet, but he joins me now. Bob, how are you? I'm doing just fine, Lars. I'm uh, here in Las Vegas uh, at the SHOT Show uh, that you're very familiar with. Uh, just oh, yeah. a little slice of heaven here in Nevada. 
I wish I were there. I mean, we usually go every year. We happen to miss this year. So it's just, uh, you, know, you know, that happens. I mean, we can't make it to everything every year. But uh, And I want you to talk about what you're doing at the Shooting Hunting Outdoor Trade Show in Las Vegas, which represents so many important American industries, guns, ammunition, knives, uh, outdoor gear, military tactical gear, police tactical gear. But I want to start somewhere else, if you don't mind. There is currently a battle going on between Governor Greg Abbott of Texas and Joe Biden. And I just saw it just came down that apparently Joe Biden has told Greg Abbott, you have till tomorrow to turn over control of some of the areas of your state to the federal government, the same government that has been welcoming in this horde of illegal aliens. What should we make of that fight? And legally, where does Biden stand and where does Abbott stand? If Abbott says, we're not going to turn that er- those areas back to you, we're going to hang on to him. Does Joe Biden have the legal authority to, o- to supersede what he's doing? I don't think he has the legal authority to do probably more than 75% of what he's been doing over the last three years, Lars. Uh, But going to the governor of a state as a sovereign entity in the United States of America and the basis for the the construction of our country, and that is the states, uh, and telling them to get out of the way. We want to make your state uh, an avenue for unrestricted uh, illegal immigration into the United States is absolutely outrageous, and I applaud Governor Abbott for standing up to this. I, I'm, I'm with you on that same page. And the other question that's been kind of an interesting one, the Supreme Court said, okay, Customs and Border Protection has the ability or the, the legal authority to cut all that razor wire that's been put up, but they didn't tell Texas you can't put more up, and apparently they're putting more up. What should we make of that? Uh, here again, I applaud Governor Abbott. Uh, you know, this has absolutely become nonsensical with the Supreme Court of the United States getting involved in such minutia as, well, the federal government can, can cut this little bit of razor wire so that the federal agents don't hurt themselves when they're trying to move it aside to help illegal aliens into our country. Uh, it's, it's almost laughable, Lars, where, where not so serious in terms of the sovereignty of a state, the failure of the federal government to follow the laws, including some of those that uh, the current Congress uh, or prior Congresses have passed, and for a governor simply standing up for the safety of his state, and he's being beaten up on by the federal government. It's now, I'm almost, af- I'm almost afraid, Bob, to ask is Bob Barr is a former member of Congress, former CIA, newly elected. Well, he was elected first vice president of the board of the NRA. He will become the president of that organization soon. But I want to ask you about this, because in all the years I've been a reporter, uh, I got familiar, but not deeply familiar with the laws. If you have National Guard in your state, they are ordinarily under the control of the governor of that state. The governor can put them to work, and oftentimes they fight fires and build levees when there's flooding and, and do a lot of other things. They can be federalized, and National Guard is sometimes federalized and even sent to far corners of the world if the president decides to. The Texas National Guard has been helping hold the line, in, especially at Eagle Pass, Texas, at that park called Shelby Park. And all of a sudden, uh, they, they booted the CBP. And now Joe Biden is saying, I want the CBP back in there. And my question to you legally, do you know if a governor has, feder- has, uh, if a governor has been using his own National Guard uh, to, to help carry out these tasks, and he come in as a con- comes into conflict with the president, Can the president supersede him and say, I'm federalizing the Texas Guard and you'll have people in uniform 
forced to say, I'm sorry, Governor Abbott, the president has seized control of us. And now there now Joe Biden is giving us our marching orders. Well, you've put your finger, Lars, as always, on a very, very important question. And this is one that, uh, that, that I'm not sure the answer to. I do know, as you just said, that uh, the state National Guard can be federalized under certain circumstances. We saw that, for example, I recall when I was a kid uh, and uh, the uh, uh, governor in Alabama, I think it was, refused uh, to follow uh, the law uh, and allow uh, black students to attend uh, schools in that state. Uh, the uh, National Guard, uh, the State Guard was federalized. Uh, but here we we have a state national guard that is not standing in the way of federal or state laws but enforcing those laws uh and having the federal government come in and say well we're going to stop you from enforcing the laws and force you to violate the laws i i i'd, I'd love to see this uh, get to the supreme court i would too because you know i mean Bob, in, in past years, like I said, I've watched, uh, usually it's a matter of who's paying the bill. You know, when a governor says, well, we have fires in our state, but they're on federal land, and then the president will say, well, I'll federalize the guard so they can go fight the fires. They're going to fight the fires anyway, but now the federal government pays the tab instead of the state. And it literally is on little things like that. I just wondered what would happen because President Trump, who's out there and doing quite well in Iowa, New Hampshire, and probably going to do well in South Carolina, he has said those 24 states that have said we stand with Texas, he's suggesting to them, you ought to send your National Guard down to Texas and help Greg Abbott out. And I wonder if this is going to become a battle between the federal governments and the state governments about who who controls the uh, the National Guards of those states if they it send people down. It is that important an issue, Lars. I mean, you know, you probably have read uh, the same bit of history that I had when uh, Andrew uh, Jackson uh, didn't uh, go along with a uh, U.S. Supreme Court decision saying, well, the Supreme Court has issued its decision. Let them try and enforce it. Uh -huh. uh, you know, we averted a, a major uh, uh, fight between uh, the federal government and state governments uh, back then. But, uh, you know, simply because the Supreme Court says something does not mean that a state has to violate the law uh, in order to uh, comply with it. So I think this is a uh, it's an issue. Hopefully it will not become uh, a, a physical fight between uh, Texas and the federal government. But it is mighty important uh, in terms of finally having a governor stand up to the federal government and say state sovereignty means something in America. Absolutely. Hey, I want to ask you this. I'm talking to Bob Barr. He's at SHOT Show. I'm not this year. Shooting, hunting, outdoor trade show. It's gigantic. It is industry only. This one's not open to the public. It usually draws tens of thousands of people and I think about 50 or 60,000 vendors of everything from firearms to ammunition to gear, including gear for the military, gear for police departments as well. I want, I want to get your thought on what you're doing there as the upcoming future president of the board of directors at the NRA. Well, I'm doing several things uh, uh, here at uh, SHOT Show in uh, Las Vegas, one of many that I've attended, and I know you've attended over the years. Oh, yeah. First and foremost, I'm taking the opportunity to talk with uh, small business people uh, who are here, uh, talking also. I had the opportunity to talk with a number of governors who are here, uh, and also just talking with with Americans, uh, citizens that are roaming the hallways here, exercising their right 
not just to keep and bear arms, but to stand for the right to keep and bear arms. That's, that's the most wonderful thing about shows like this, similar to the NRA convention exhibit hall that I know you've been to uh, many times also, is to oh, yeah. see average Americans exercising their right in a law-abiding way. Have you found any hardware you want to take back to Georgia yet? Oh, good Lord. Uh, so, so much of it, but I, I can't afford it. But it's, no, it's I mean, wonderful I, to see. The most I might do is buy a knife or two because there's some great knife makers there as well. And I've already got a safe full of guns. I'll have to buy another safe if I get more guns. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Enjoy your time at SHOT Show. I'm sure you're more than welcome for that kind of venue. Thank you, Lars. You betcha. That's Bob Barr, former member of Congress, formerly with the CIA, newly elected vice president of the board of the NRA, soon to be the president of that organization. Coming up in a moment, four years ago, the governor of New Jersey said that he could prevent climate change by banning plastic bags. But did going green actually prove to be more harmful for the environment? I'll get to that and your calls at 866-439-5277. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. ask Lars if he wants to run for public office, like president. Do you know how much power I'd have to give up to be president? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. In a moment, I want to tell you about New Jersey's little experiment under its Democrat governor saying we're going to save the planet by banning plastic bags. And it didn't quite work out that way. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every single night at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. You just got to be ready to answer a couple of questions from yours truly. Uh, that's 866-439-5277. If you want to answer our poll on X, we put up a brand new question each and every day. I say we. I write the question at times. Mackenzie sometimes does it, or Donovan or Joel, my great producers. Do you want your kids' teachers armed at school? Would you feel safer or more concerned? I'd vote for safer. You can vote any way you like. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. And always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC's got the conservative values I believe in. I joined years and years ago. You can join, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. Let's go to Casey. Hey, Casey, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, thank you, Lars. Thanks for taking my car. Um, you bet. What's up? I have a conspiracy theory about the Texas border that I haven't uh, heard anybody else say yet. Go for it. And that would be that I think that the federal government is trying to do everything that they can to get Texas to secede from the union, being the only state that has that authority in their own state constitution. And they're trying to do it before the 2024 election so that those electoral college votes won't count. But why would why would Joe Biden's border policy that's been damaging to Texas, I'll, I'll admit that. 
uh, and damaging to a lot of other states, mostly blue states. Why would they have an incentive to break away from the United States, even if they had the legal authority to do that? Why would they want to do that? Well, because of the Supreme Court's, uh, well, it's not a ruling, but injunction. Oh, well, the federal you know, government they, coming in and constantly taking down the border uh, barriers that their own National Guard is setting up. Well, that's irritating for sure. But on the other hand, look how Texas has responded. Texas said we're putting up razor wire. Then illegals come up to the razor wire. They can't get in. They can't be ushered in with the red carpet thrown down by the order of the White House, by the Border Patrol. So Texas says, fine, you can cut razor wire. We'll put up more. And that seems like the, the right response. They're not caving in or saying we have to leave the United States. They're saying, uh, you know, okay, go ahead. Cut, cut all you want. We'll make more. We'll make more. And I think that's the right response. I think the wrong response would be for them to secede from the union before the election. Yeah, I do, too. And I'm not hearing anybody talk about that possibility. Although, Casey, it's a great conspiracy theory for what we call conspiracy theory Thursday. So we appreciate you coming on the program. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, like Bob Weiss in Hot Springs, Arkansas, who says, Lars, uh, earlier today I saw an interesting snippet on Newsmax. According to them, when illegal aliens show up at the airport for their flights, they're given instructions on how to interact with the TSA. Yep, we've talked about that for the last couple of weeks. They're told to say, I have no photo ID. I don't want you to take my photo. Just get me on my flight. Can you imagine the dust-up if John Q. taxpayer attempted that trick? Also, who would think this is sensible policy? The answer is the Biden administration. Let's go, Brandon. Keep up the good work, signed Bob, in Arkansas. Hot Springs in particular, which, by the way, Hot Springs is Bill Clinton's hometown. Now, he always wants to say that it's another town, but Hot Springs is actually where he was born. So interesting history for Bill Clinton. Let me tell you about New Jersey and their... Governor Phil Murphy, Democrat. So what did he do? About four years ago, he signed a law that banned single-use plastic bags. Now, uh, I think that's absolutely crazy. Uh, they've done it in my neck of the woods as well. Do I think it saves the environment? It does not. Do I think it's incredibly inconvenient? Hey, I live in a place where it rains a lot. Can you imagine how well paper bags work when you're getting your groceries in something that melts in the rain? It doesn't. So, does it actually save the environment? And I've had people complain about these very thin bags that are used for grocery. And they say, oh, they're ruining the environment. Do you know what those bags are, for the most part, made of? They're made of ethane gas. And you say, where's that come from? You say, well, it comes from uh, drilling for natural gas and oil. You have ethane gas that comes up. Well, what do they usually use it for? Well, usually it doesn't have much use at all, so they flare it, meaning they set it on fire and let it burn. Um, what if they use it for, for these single-use plastic bags? The answer is it's a very good use of it. And as I understand it, there are about 5,000 people in America who work in the industry that makes those bags. Now, what Phil Murphy has is an entirely different point of view. He said, one of the most problematic forms of garbage, millions of bags ending up in landfills, rivers, and the ocean. Actually, most of the plastic that goes into the ocean is coming from Asia and from China in particular. Uh, and it's there. Uh, the biggest volume of plastic that ends up in the ocean is coming from fishing nets 
that when they become flawed enough, the fisherman just cuts them loose and lets them drift. That's the big problem, not plastic bags from the United States of America. But consider this. What's happened since then? A brand new study that shows that the plastic pollution got worse after they banned the plastic bags. Here's the way the study put it. Following New Jersey's ban on single-use bags, the shift from plastic film to alternative bags resulted in a three per, three times increase in plastic consumption for bags. Now, that came from the Fredonia Custom Research. Prior to the ban, 53 million pounds of plastic bags were used in the Garden State. That's now gone to 151 million pounds, so it has tripled. The reusable bags require more plastic to make than single-use ones. Shoppers end up only reusing them a few times, according to the study. They said, notably, the non-woven polypropylene NWPP, the dominant alternative bag material, consumes 15 times more plastic and generates five times the amount of greenhouse gas emissions during production than uh, per bag than the polyethylene plastic bags. And, of course, they join a ton of other states, New Jersey, California, Colorado, all these states, about a dozen of them or more, who've banned plastic bags because they're saving the planet. Let's go to Mike in Mississippi. Hey, Mike, welcome to the program. Thanks for listening on the Super Talk Network. What's on your mind? Uh, just back to the subject about the border. Um, yeah. No one seems to be, you know, talking about the fact that our government is trafficking people across our border. Yep. And they're using our military to do it. Which we, have talk- we have talked about that. An accomplice. Well, they're primarily using Customs and Border Protection, but you're right. Uh, the the U.S. military can back that up as well, but mostly it's CBP, isn't it? I don't know what CBP is. Uh, Customs and Border Protection. So when when they safeguard the border, the folks who enforce within, I think it's 90 miles of the border all the way around the country, that's CBP. That's their jurisdiction. Then inside of that is ICE. ICE, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, technically does the enforcement within the cities. So if somebody was down in New Orleans uh, and, uh, uh, or down on the, uh, on the Gulf Coast in Mississippi, CBP takes care of uh, illegal alien enforcement within 90 miles of the border. Outside of that, it's ICE. It's mostly federal employees. Okay. No, just, it's, it just blows my mind to think about it. You know, for the past four years, they've been funneling people right through Texas. They've been... That's right. And they go to every corner of America, and it's putting an incredible weight on our society. Thanks so much for the call from Mississippi, and thanks for listening on Super Talk. Coming up, we got to talk about transgender mutilation now banned for minors in Ohio. Warning to Hamas at the Republican Jewish Coalition Conference. If you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on what we call Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And a real pleasure to welcome back to the program from the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation, Miss Sarah Parshall Perry, who's one of their legal fellows. Sarah, good to have you on the program. 
Lars, I always love doing your show. Thanks for having me back. Well, I appreciate that because sometimes I can be tough on guests. And I do want to talk about what's going on with the transgender mutilation bans, which are important and they should be happening, and males being banned from women's sports. Can I drag you a different direction since you're a legal fellow and I know you can turn on a dime? Of course. Okay, let me ask you about this. There is a Donnybrook shaping up between the federal government and about half the states in America, 25 of them, have now lined up saying, we support Texas. And the president of the United States has thrown down a challenge today, late today, saying to Texas, you have till tomorrow to uh, remove your National Guard from that park in Texas so we can send in the Border Patrol so they can roll out the red carpet for illegal aliens. Does that sound like the ones that one that's in a fight that's in your lane legally uh, and constitutionally, perhaps? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you what, this is going to ultimately come down in the end to a battle over whether or not the current Supreme Court are Federalists as truly understood. In other words, is the government, the federal government imbued with only certain limited powers? And are the rest of those powers given to the states because, according to the Tenth Amendment, those that are not explicitly reserved for Congress are, of course, the exercise, the purview of the states themselves. And a state does have a right to defend itself and defend its borders. Now, this was a temporary order by the Supreme Court, but we have yet to see a merits determination as to what this would look like on more of a long-scale approach in a standoff between the feds, who, of course, are refusing to do their job, refusing to hold up, for example, the INA, the Immigration and Naturalization Act, and, of course, Texas. Governor Abbott has made no small potatoes about the fact that he is not only back at the razor wire, (laughs) he is now using it along the canal in a new format. Well, and in fact, I, I, I don't know about how you think of it as a lawyer. I'm free of a JD degree, so I don't have to worry about that part of it. But I thought this is brilliant. The Supreme Court says, okay, customs and border protection, cut all the razor wire you want. And Abbott says, okay, uh, cut all you want. We'll put up more. And, and I, I don't think he's, I, I've had people saying he's ignoring the Supreme Court the same way Joe did on the student loan repayments. And I said, no. The Supreme Court said Border Patrol can cut the wire. It didn't say Abbott couldn't put up a whole bunch more. Right. Did it? That's exactly it. It did not, actually. And I think it's very interesting that he sought a different avenue. So now he's along the canal as opposed to Eagle Pass Park, where he was previously. Once again, this is a bit of brinksmanship on Governor Abbott. What's that, Sarah? You dropped out on me. Are you still there? Uh, we may have to get Sarah back. I don't know what happened. Let's see. Is she, is she still there? Sarah, did I lose you for a moment? Yep, I have a feeling we lost her. Hey, Joel, will you see if we can get Sarah back? Because there are a couple of other questions I want to ask her about about exactly how this is going to play out. Because this is this is nuts. You've got the President of the United States telling Texas, you have 24 hours and you are going to say uncle. Well, the Biden administration is now demanding that Texas allow the Border Patrol to access certain areas within Texas. If she's back, I'm going to get her back on. Sarah, you there now? I'm there. I'm I'm there. I got to tell you, you know, this is a bit of brinksmanship on the part of Governor Abbott. And I got to tell you, I give the man kudos for standing his ground. He's going to hold not only the feds, but the Supreme Court 
to the line on making an immediate determination as to whether or not this is going to be a temporary disposition of their ability to protect their sovereign borders, or whether or not the feds in this instance, even when they are in dereliction of their duty, can come in and continue to one-up a state in its effort to protect its own citizens. So this is something distinctly to be watched. Okay, I've got a couple of other legal puzzlers for you, because this is fun. As long as you don't mind, Sarah, I, I want to do this. My, my, well, I have three great producers. One of them, Joel, uh, said, I said, well, Biden has given Texas 24 hours. And Joel asked the right question. It's not a lawyer question. But he said, or what? I mean, if Joe Biden throws it down and says, and he has, he said, you have 24 hours to give the Border Patrol access to and control of those areas, Shelby Park, Eagle Pass, and all that. Or what? Sarah, does the president have an or what? I mean, are we going to see federal marshals sent in to arrest Governor Abbott or the Texas National Guard or what? Well, you know, that's a great point. Now, listen, this is an administration that is a lot of, to quote the Bard, sound and fury signifying nothing. So we really would have to wait and see exactly how much skin he is willing to invest in the game. We've seen governors from southern states ship illegal immigrants to parts unknown, things like, oh, for example, Martha's Vineyard or New York or Chicago, as Governor DeSantis has done cleverly, I would say. Listen, if you don't want to recognize the fact that we as a state have rights to protect our own borders, we will simply send our illegal immigrants influxes elsewhere. And I'm quite certain that what's going to happen now is that we won't the Biden administration muster up the resources and the federal marshalling in enough time or with <laughs> enough efforts to be able to go down and essentially stop Governor Abbott's efforts in its tracks. This was, I believe, more sword rattling than it was anything else. And quite frankly, seeing Governor Abbott go right back to the drawing board with new razor wire in a new location, <laughs> I have to applaud him. That definitely takes um, a steel spine. Well, and the other legal puzzler is this. States have National Guard. They're under the control of the governor. I've dealt with that for decades as a reporter because they'll be called upon to deal with floods and fires and other things. The federal government can federalize them. If Greg Abbott has is using his Texas National Guard for this purpose, can Joe Biden reach in and federalize them and seize control of the Texas National Guard? Constitutionally, no, because remember, these are these are analogs of they are operatives of the state, even though they operate under the nomenclature of National Guard. They are distinctly employed, activated by the governor of the states in which they reside. So they're sort of military um, branches and arms, but they're quasi state operated. So the fact that these are particularly engaged by the government by the state government, and in this case, Texas and Governor Abbott, it really leads one to believe that we're going to see a standoff of massive proportions if the Biden administration is willing to put its money where its mouth is. If you truly believe yep. that we have a secured, closed border situation, of course you won't have a problem with the governor putting up razor wire because you'll want to make sure that all immigration is legal immigration and comes through appropriate course of authority. Sarah, it is a pleasure to have you on that. Sarah Partial Perry from the Heritage Foundation, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.
Bahrain. Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Live. Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. We've heard a lot of these data, and we've been following this very carefully um, as we have had reports of this rare but mild myocarditis come in. Um, and we heard about this yesterday at the um, now, Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices yesterday. Yesterday. Now, that's Rochelle Walensky, and that's June of 2021, not quite three years ago. And what she's saying, well, we've heard these reports about myocarditis and pericarditis. I'd throw that in as well. So why am I talking about this two and a half years later, almost three years later? Because now there's an email that proves that the CDC knew early on about heart problems. And yes, they're rare, but heart problems all the same caused by the mRNA jab that some people insist on calling a vaccination. And they decided They made a concerted decision to hold it back from the public. Now, I I have a problem with that, but let me tell you why, and I'll give you the background on all of this. Still, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go to the head of the line. I'll get to some naysayer calls here in just a minute. And you can also vote in our poll on X. used to be called the Twitter poll. You can find it on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Now, I've got to give lavish credit because I don't steal things the way the current president of the United States plagiarizes. The Epic Times managed to come up with an email that was sent from the CDC. There was an email exchange, and this is all the way back in May of 2021, about a month before Rochelle Walensky made that statement on Good Morning America, where she said, yeah, we've heard about some of these reports, and they're rare, but uh, we're keeping a close eye on it. Let me tell you what they actually did do, and they did it before she said that. The nation's top public health agency reports Epic did not send an alert on COVID-19 vaccines. They still call it a vaccine. I call it the jab and heart inflammation because officials said, well, if we tell the public what's actually going on, that could cause panic. And then they wouldn't want to take the jab. No kidding. No kidding. A CDC in 2021 drafted an alert. You see, they have this system. It's called the HAN, the Health Alert System Network, H-A-N. And they use it to get the word out about one thing or another. When they become aware of a risk to the public, they're able to send a quick alert out that goes out to the entire nation, to doctors and clinics and hospitals and all of that. So let me take you all the way back to December of 2020. You say, well, okay, December of 2020, the virus uh, begins to emerge in China. Then in early 
uh, sorry, 19. Then in early 2020, the pandemic begins in the United States, and they begin developing a vaccine. Well, they called it a vaccine, except they used a brand new technology that had never been used for vaccines before called mRNA vaccine uh, technology developed by Dr. Robert Malone, among others, who actually advised the public this was never intended to be used this way. It should never have been used that way. Dr. Malone has spent the last several years telling people that, saying there are problems with doing it that way. Well, what happened? Fast forward to December of 2020, the election year, right after the election of Donald Trump that was actually stolen by Joe Biden, but that's a story for another day. The first vaccines actually landed in clinics around America on December the 14th of 2020. It was a very quick development, something that even Anthony Fauci had said would not be possible. He's, he was quoted from 2019 as saying, we can't possibly get a new vaccine through approval in less than about 10 years. And then all of a sudden, the very next year, he's finding a way to say, no, no, this stuff's good. We put it together in about eight months. So what happens? Right after they started giving shots to people in December of 2020, the first year of the pandemic, they started getting reports about myocarditis and pericarditis. Now, they identified that this was a problem. Uh, U.S. authorities identified myocarditis and a related condition called pericarditis before the vaccines were cleared for use as events that could be caused. And then guess what happened right after they started giving the shots in December of 2020? People who received the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines began reporting myocarditis and pericarditis to health authorities and the vaccine manufacturers shortly after they were rolled out in December of 2020. So they knew it was likely to happen. When they started giving the shots, it was happening. It was reported the information was in the hands of agencies like the CDC. At the very least, in American medicine at least, you're required to have a package insert that says, these are some of the things this drug also does. If you listen to any of the ads on television for drugs, they have this long list of it may cause this, that, and the other thing. But at least they advise you. Well, guess what happened? In May of 2021, a month before Rochelle Walensky made that statement I played at the beginning of the segment, um, the folks at CDC said, you know, we don't want to send out this message right now because people might get the information and then they will react to it. They will say, well, maybe I don't want to get the shot after all. They wrote the message up. They never sent it. And a full month later, almost two months later, um, Here's Rochelle Walensky on television saying, yeah, we've heard something about that and we're keeping a close eye on it. Basically shuffles it away. She falsely said in April of 2021 that CDC had seen no reports of myocarditis and pericarditis and that no signal had been triggered. So the CDC lied to the public. I just thought you should know about it, even if the CDC doesn't agree. Let's go to a naysayer. Hey, Phil, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What do you, uh, we, we're always glad to get naysayers, but what do you, what do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Uh, I disagree with you at a certain point on the Alex Baldwin story about the pistol. No, about the fact Going that he's now been it. charged with involuntary manslaughter because he pulled a trigger and a bullet killed a woman, right? Okay. He says he didn't pull the trigger, though. And the thing is, Alex, I mean, um, Lars, I wanted to ask you, you own yeah. revolvers, right? 
Yes, I do. Okay, I've owned the revolvers a lot in my life also, and you know what a hair trigger is? Yes. Okay. A lot of your revolvers have But a, even a hair trigger a has to be pulled for it to go down. And I will yeah. tell you something yeah. you should know if you decide to defend Alec Baldwin and say he didn't do it, he didn't pull the trigger. Do you know that the FBI rebuilt that gun? And they said, let's see if okay. what Alec Baldwin says happened could have happened. In other words, he didn't pull the trigger, the gun fired anyway. And you know what they determined after they took a look at the gun? And they said, uh, let's, let's see if we can make what he says happen, happen. That is, a bullet fires without somebody pulling the trigger. You know what they found out, Phil? What? He had to pull the trigger for, the, for the gun to fire. Okay. All right. What I, what, I, what I was getting at, Lars, is I've owned some pistols and revolvers. I own a lot of pistols and revolvers. But um, what I was getting at is my son owned one, and it had a hair trigger on it, and... After a while, the hammer wears down because of the, the trigger has the hammer has to be filed to get the hair trigger on it, and the spring on it was slipping off the hammer, and he pulled it back one day, no bullets in it, and it went off by itself. Well, and maybe maybe Alec Baldwin will be able to persuade a jury. Otherwise, it sounds like he's going to jail. You've got the Lawrence Larson Show. Solid advice from Senator John Kennedy. Look, if you hate cops just because of the cops, the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And usually this time of year, we're at SHOT Show, the shooting, hunting, outdoor trade show. It's the biggest thing of its kind in America. It represents the entire firearms industry. It also represents people who make knives and tactical gear for the military and a lot of other good things. But there's an opportunity for people like Dr. Matthew Miller, who is executive director for VA Suicide Prevention for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And Dr. Miller joins me now. Dr. Miller, welcome to the program, and thanks for your service in the Air Force. Thanks. Thanks for having me, and you hit the nail on the head. This is a great opportunity to be here. Well, and tell me this. You served as uh, the mental health uh, chief at Joint Services Pilot Training Wing. So what do we need to do to help America's veterans because they have a disturbingly high rate of suicide after their service to, to this country? Well, I think uh, it starts with what we're focused on here. 72% of veteran suicides are by firearm. Uh, when we talk about this, we talk about it in terms of then uh, uh, why veterans die by suicide versus how. We don't talk about firearms in the why category. We talk about firearms in the how category. I think that's a really important distinction to make clear uh, here at the show and with the firearm industry and owners. Uh, in terms of then lowering uh, veteran suicide through decreasing uh, veteran suicides by firearm, it's all about time and space. It's all about uh, secure storage to uh, weather dark periods uh, without grabbing the gun. And how do, why don't you give my audience some practical advice? Because if you're a family 
and you've got a veteran in the family, my dad and mom both served in the U.S. Navy, um, that it's probably a tough conversation to say, Dad or Mom, you're going through some dark times, and maybe what you ought to do is, uh, is hand over control of the firearms that you have, change the combo on the safe, because we're worried about you. Uh, that yeah. may be a tough message for a lot of men and women to take. Yeah, I, I would say, Lars, I, I, would, I would propose not may, but will be a tough conversation for any and all of us. I, I'd say go to va.gov slash reach and look at our resources we have on starting the conversation. I think it gives a really nice overview and information about how to uh, have a conversation and start a conversation around the topic of suicide, suicide prevention, and uh, firearms. It, you know, but just uh, opening the door to the conversation, really, really important step. Well, Dr. Miller, the, one of the concerns, I'm not a veteran, but I honor the veterans. I think we should do everything for them that we possibly can. But does this, does the idea that you may have your ability to hunt, uh, to shoot, to have a firearm accessible to you, get in the way at all of veterans who might be going through a tough time? Maybe it's PTSD, maybe it's deep depression. And they think, but if I tell anybody that, whether it's my doctor or my family, they're going to want to come and disarm me, and I don't want that to happen. And, and, and if you're active duty, you may even think, if I admit I'm, I'm having some troubles uh, in the way I'm feeling or, or the way I'm, I'm getting through life, uh, that that might actually have an effect on your service and could even yeah. end your service. Is that a legitimate fear for both uh, for active duty and maybe a fear for the, uh, the veteran who says, I don't want somebody coming in and telling me what to do? Yeah, I don't want to say any concern or fear that a veteran has is uh, is illegitimate. Uh, there, there's probably very good reasons for it. However, the uh, fear based upon the VA and Veterans Health Administration uh, taking a veteran's weapon uh, is is not true. Is not accurate. What we're interested in is creating options and opportunities for veterans to store their weapons uh, during particular points in their life where storing the weapon may save their life. It's, it's a little akin to the uh, uh, handing your keys over temporarily or putting them somewhere else around the context of drinking and driving. I'm talking to Dr. Matthew Miller. He's executive director for VA Suicide Prevention for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And yet you mentioned a moment ago the VA is not interested in, in going out and taking people's things away, taking away their liberties. But is that a legitimate concern as more and more states are beginning to say have red flag laws? I'm not mm. entirely convinced myself that red flag laws actually work um, yeah. because I think they're kind of problematic. But is there a reason to fear? Well, if I tell the VA this and they're legitimately concerned about my safety, uh, are they going to pick up the phone and call the local, you know, the local authorities and say, no. hey, this guy needs to be red flagged because do you make it clear to veterans that, that you're not going to do something like that? And if you don't, I, I guess then then the question may come up if that veteran commits suicide, you might say, well, did you know he was in yeah. a tough spot? And and did you use the laws that were available to you? I'm not advocating either way. As I said, I'm a gun owner. Uh, I believe in the Second Amendment. I don't want people's guns taken away, and I think there are too many people out there who'd like to take them away. 
Yeah, no. Uh, VA has something that's called uh, uh, federal supremacy, which uh, means that when it comes to issues like a state-based uh, law that's unique to that state, uh, the VA has um, options and, uh, and abilities with that. So we're, we're not going to be reporting based upon a state-based law. Uh, where reporting may occur is in the context of uh, fiduciary related coverage of veteran benefits and you know when you really take a look at the numbers there that impacts less than one percent of uh, veterans who are receiving VA services and own firearms uh, so uh, we're, we're, we're talking about really small numbers here with, uh, with the VA and when it comes to uh, firearms in the way that some people may be concerned about. Dr. Miller, I, uh, I mean, in all my years in news, I, I'm never surprised when I hear a story about somebody who's committed suicide and everyone around that man or woman says, why I never saw a single thing that would have led me to believe that my yeah. friend, my family member would do this. So at the risk of doing something very pedestrian for a guy like you with your background, can you talk to my audience about what they should be looking for? Because it sounds like the signs are pretty tough to, to, to spot. Yeah, the the signs are uh, the signs aren't tough to spot, but uh, the, trying to then uh, convert that into um, risk and things along those lines, yeah, that's that's really difficult to predict. Suicide is is difficult to predict. It's complex. I think the key thing is pay attention to your gut, uh, and this is how we know in suicide prevention how important the family and the community are to our efforts. It's not uh, so much a clinical sort of process and diagnosis here. It's family, community recognizing changes in uh, an individual within their community, changes in their interest level, changes in their behaviors, uh, things along those lines. And at that point, simply opening the door for conversation. And if, if a veteran says, look, I just need a counselor, I need to sit down yep. and talk to somebody about, my, uh, my, about what's going on in my life, yep. v, can VA quickly get that for a veteran? Yeah, I think the quickest thing uh, in that context, if uh, if a veteran's talking to you and saying that, you can say, "Hey, let's uh, let's dial up the uh, veterans crisis line. Let's press nine eight eight on our phone, and then when it asks for a veteran, let's press one, and let's talk to the veterans crisis line responder. And the veterans crisis line responder can put in a referral." to the veteran's local facility and uh, arrange for that veteran to be con to be contacted for the veteran to talk through what he or she is interested in and needs. Dr. Miller, thanks so much for your service in the, in the Air Force and thanks for the work you're doing at the VA to prevent suicide among our veterans. And I appreciate you going to SHOT Show. I wish we were there to say hello to you in person. We're yeah, not, miss, but, miss but you here. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. We'll be back in just a moment. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.
Another strong take from President Biden on AI and the weather. Helping web tech, the web, web, the web telescope. My God, what is this? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And as I mentioned a couple of times this week, usually this time of year, we're at the Shooting Hunting Outdoor Trade Show, which is an amazing sight. It's in Las Vegas. It represents virtually everybody in the firearms industry, ammunition industry, uh, people who make equipment for both military and for police services as well. And uh, we go there because of the interesting people we get to talk to, like Indiana's Attorney General Todd Rokita is the 44th and current Attorney General in a great state called Indiana. General Rokita, welcome to the program, or I should say welcome back. Yeah, hey Lars, thanks. Thanks for remembering. It's been a little bit of time, but I always love to be on. Well, I appreciate you doing that. I want to ask you about something because you, your staff said you would be willing to talk about this crazy lawsuit that's been go- going on involving the city of Gary, Indiana, going after Smith & Wesson for the last 20 years in court. What was that all about or is all about? But yeah, thanks for uh, yeah correcting the tense there, um, because it is still going on. Hopefully, not for much longer. So, what happened back in the '90s? And you got to remember, Gary, Indiana, on the shores of Lake Michigan, uh, used to be the steel capital of the world. In fact, Indiana still makes the most steel of any state. Um, but it was really a booming city. It was glorious. Uh, I'm from that county. Uh, if you could see me, you'd say. Feast your eyes. We have a conservative from Lake County, Indiana. <laughs> he should be in a cage on display somewhere. Um, but in the 90s, it became the murder capital of the world. And they, in, in their liberal, infinite wisdom, decided to blame that on gun manufacturers. So they filed suit. And it was just, it was more, it's grown to be more than just Smith and Wesson. It's grown to be many. Uh, and some had settled over the years, and that fueled Gary's budget a little bit, so it kept them motivated to keep the suit, keep the suit going. Now, in these later chapters, it's become a venue, if you will, for um, the, the, the Bloombergs of the world and the Brady organizations and all that to go and f- go fishing for documents. We call it the discovery process, uh, not only on manufacturers but on retailers. Uh, going after Cabela's, where they're they're, they're trying to get uh, lists of people who are buying guns and who knows what else, and we need to put a stop to that. So the legislature, Chris Jeter, a, a, a state house representative, has filed a, a good bill. It's I find it constitutional to basically, in, in in a very short sentence, say, you know what, these kinds of lawsuits are prohibited in the state of Indiana. Now, now, and, by the uh, way, we General hope to put Rokita, a final stop to this. Let me ask yep. you this: Is this one along the same lines of the ones that the, the left has already always dreamed of, where they say? We're going to blame the company that made a perfectly good firearm if somebody right. buys or obtains the firearm and uses it to commit a crime. That's the general idea, right? Yeah. Instead of looking at their failed policies for why their cities, like Gary, are, 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 are deteriorating, they try to blame somebody else, right? Well, when it's but, really but their it leadership, makes... their policies, the breakdown of the family itself, that kind of thing. It makes as much sense as suing Ford Motor Company if a pedestrian is hit by an F-150, because you don't blame the manufacturer of a valid uh, you know, product, whether it's a gun or a car or right. anything else. If they've made a good product and somebody misuses it, they're going to be going after the Ginzu Knife Company next. Right. It, it's failed logic. It's, it's, it's all they have. Uh, we're going to win it, but it's, it, it's, we're going to win the day on that whole issue. But in terms of this lawsuit, it's time for it to be over, because uh, it's really now an economic development 
issue for Indiana. You know, we don't want to be known as the state that's unwelcome to gun manufacturers. We got some great, we got five or six Indiana gun manufacturers uh, here at the show, and uh, and 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 we believe it's a valid business. We we you know, Indiana's a great Second Amendment state. We want that to grow in the state of Indiana. So this lawsuit has to go away. And I'm supportive of the law in Indiana that's uh, that's going through the process right now to finally take care of the situation. Good. I'm hoping it ends as well. Can I pick your brains on a couple of other legal matters, if, I, if you don't mind me taking a little bit of field? Yeah, sure. I, go, I, I uh, have a very low rate, and you're welcome to, to have that rate. <laughs> well, it's, it's a prevailing wage rate for attorneys, isn't it? Um, uh, but let me ask you about Texas. So you have Texas overrun with illegal aliens. Uh, which are apparently only a problem if they show up on Mayor Adams' doorstep in New York City. And Texas says we're putting up razor wire, and the U.S. Supreme Court decides, well, the CBP can go down and cut all the razor wire. And so now Texas, I think, has smartly responded by saying, yeah, you can cut it, and we'll put up more of it, which is fine. And a lot of states, I think 24 of them, have now backed up the state of Texas and said, we're standing with Texas. Texas has a right to protect what's going on inside its state, and they're not enforcing immigration law, they're enforcing their own laws. Am I wrong legally? No, no, you're right. I went down to Texas uh, and saw with my own two eyes what's going on down there. It's been a little bit of time now, but um, they, well, Greg Abbott, my good friend Ken Paxton, the Attorney General of Texas, were doing was, was arresting illegal aliens under state laws. So forget the federal laws, but Texas has a good criminal trespass law. So as they were getting picked up, uh, they were being uh, put in jail, awaiting a hearing, due process, of course, and um, they weren't being caught and released, so to speak. Uh, so Texas has it right. I have um, asked publicly several times my governor to help uh, Texas. He has not responded. Uh, we are of the same political party, but that doesn't mean we're the same kettle of fish, right? Tell me about uh, Yeah, uh, and so uh, if you go to my uh, social media right now, you'll see that I've posted uh, Greg Abbott's letter explaining exactly what he's doing and saying that, that what he's doing is is constitutional and that certainly this attorney general supports what he's doing and encouraging um, Indiana to help Texas because when you don't have a southern border even if you're a non-border state technically really we're all border states uh, within 48 hours of crossing that border illegally those those illegal aliens can, are in, coming to Indiana again within 48 hours uh, and, and they're not the families who want to be helped or looking for a better life and are willing to work for it. These are single uh, military-age males who are coming, probably let out of prison from their own countries, uh, to come here to do harm to Indiana. More fentanyl, more crime, sex trafficking. I mean, the, the horrors in, 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 in this is Human Trafficking Month here in the United States, the yep. horrors of sex trafficking going on right now, and Biden turning a, and these liberals turning a, a, a blind eye to that, all, all out of their failed ideology that somehow says uh, countries aren't allowed to be sovereign, especially ours. <laughs> is absolutely ridiculous. So I'm still encouraging Indiana to help by sending the guard down to help Greg Abbott uh, to do whatever we can uh, to help enforce the border because ultimately it protects Indiana citizens. I'm talking to Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. Uh, if I can take you to another state, have you been following what's going on in Arizona right now? Because I think it has broad implications for the Republican Party. Um, I've heard about it. I, I understand my, I, If it's about Carrie Lake, she's a, it is. Uh, she is someone that I admire appreciate her courage i'm a donor 
uh, I went. I happened to be at a, a fundraiser of hers and, and, and got to talk with her. And I should think she's a breath of fresh air well, for this country. I, I think Arizona. so, too. General, let me ask you, if I went to Indiana and said, Todd, if you'll run for governor of Indiana, I'll, uh, I'll arrange a job for you where you don't even have to show up. You're just going to get a paycheck. Would I be breaking the law? Um, it, it's, pre- it's pretty fact-sensitive there. We all have free choice, right? Uh, yeah, but can I pay you something of value in exchange for your agreement to either run or not run? Uh, I'm not sure that's illegal, necessarily. It is in some states, and I was curious. Yeah. But, but it, it sounds like there are people within the Republican Party, big donors, who want to go out and bribe some candidates to get out of the way, especially yeah, the ones and that are Trump-like. This is, you know, Lars, we've been fighting this, you and I and so many other your listeners, this, this establishment movement for so long. These people have forgotten how to win, right? Yep. And maybe they don't want to win. Maybe it's just they think we could still go along to get along and country be damned. But we're at a point now where it should be pretty damn clear to everybody what's going on here. These are, these are really Marxist attempts to remake our economy. Absolutely right. Any, uh, any attorney patron- General Rokita, I've got, I'm up against a break, but that's the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita. General, it's a pleasure always to have you on the show. Back in a moment, glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out our Instagram feed. Yeah, I've got a face for radio. That's okay. And vo- Coming American elections promise some provocative politics, but be forewarned, the green agenda may lead to some extreme rhetoric. I guess, pupper! So prepare yourself by listening to The Lars Larson Show. Basically, the coffee that we all drink um, emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee. So we should all know that this is every time we drink coffee, we are basically putting CO2 into the atmosphere. Now, that is one of the so-called contributors at the World Economic Forum. You know, this big shindig that they're having or have had in Davos, Switzerland. This is a guy who's a Swiss banker, and he's one of what they call their agenda contributors. I mean, you can almost guarantee that these guys are going to come out with six kinds of crazy every time they open their mouth. But that's Hubert Keller, Swiss banker, and a guy who simply believes that Americans and people around the world are drinking too much coffee. And that's the latest thing that we're told is ruining the climate of planet Earth. Now, I want to say a couple of things about that. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to have you on board. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, maybe you actually agree with this joker. Well, we've got to save the planet. We've all got to stop drinking coffee right now. 866-439-5277. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our poll on X. The question can be found at Lars Larson Show on X or on our website at LarsLarson.com. But at the, I don't want to offend anybody, but at the, uh, at the risk of doing that, to paraphrase the the late Martin Niemöller, when they came for your gas car, nobody stood up. And when they came for your steak to replace it with bugs for you to eat, few had the courage to object. But when the cartoonish Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum 
comes for your morning cup of coffee. Will Americans and sensible people around the planet finally realize where all this agenda is headed? That's the question that occurred to me when I heard what Hubert Keller of Switzerland, uh, who showed up at the World Economic Forum as one of their contributors, and he said, the coffee we drink emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee. Every time we drink coffee, we're basically putting CO2 into the Earth's atmosphere. Now, if that concerns you, do you know what the World Economic Forum and these jokers have suggested? I mean, all these elites who traveled to Davos for their big shindig, uh, most of the most elite of them showed up on private jets that burned jet fuel so that they could lecture the rest of us about not drinking coffee. What this guy suggests is that people on planet Earth should limit themselves. Listen closely because you're not going to believe your ears at first. You should limit yourself to no more than two or three cups of coffee each per year. Two or three cups of coffee each per year. Well, I'd be in trouble because I've usually had two or three cups of coffee by 8 o'clock in the morning. I start about 5, and I'd say on an average day, three cups by 8 o'clock is not unusual for me. But to tell Americans and people everywhere, no more than two or three cups of coffee per each person per year. And what is part of their objection? They say, well, you know that coffee is one of these monoculture kinds of products, meaning that if you've got places that have the climate and the water and everything else that you need to be able to grow coffee, the people who grow coffee clear the land and then they plant coffee plants and then they harvest the beans and the beans make their way to the United States. The United States, the only, as far as I know, the only domestic coffee that we produce comes from Hawaii because Hawaii happens to have the climate and the water to be able to grow coffee. Most of the rest of the United States, there might be a little bit in Southern California, I don't think so. There might be a little bit in Florida. There used to be a ton of coffee in Cuba, but of course the communist economy there did away with coffee. But these are people who are constantly telling the rest of the world how we have to live. And I'll tell you what's especially scary about it. When you have Klaus Schwab, who has always seemed to me like kind of a cartoon character villain, like you'd see in an Austin Powers movie where he shows up and he says, we will run the real world. Now, his dad was a Nazi, so I guess maybe you have to forgive him for his accent and his point of view. I don't. I think Klaus Schwab is one of the most evil people on the planet. And frankly, one of my tests for both conservatives and liberals is if you've had any kind of association with the World Economic Forum and the shindigs in Davos, I don't trust you unless you showed up there, as a few people did. I mean, last week, the head of the Heritage Foundation went to Davos to speak to the World Economic Forum, and he gave it to him with both barrels. He said, the thing that people realize, and I'm paraphrasing the guy who heads up the Heritage Foundation, the thing that all these people who show up at Davos believe is, number one, they're elites. Number two, they have money, lots and lots of money. And number three, they're highly educated. So their point of view is that they will tell the rest of the world how to run things. Can you imagine selling that idea to American citizens, saying, you don't need to have elected leaders anymore. You don't need to have representatives in Congress or your state legislatures anymore. We will simply make all these decisions for you because we're richer, we're more elite, and we have more education than you do. So 
take our prescriptions. You will sign on, and this is what Joe Biden is considering right now. You will sign on to a deal with the World, the World Health Organization, which associates itself with WEF, W-E-F, um, and you will turn over all decision-making about health emergencies to the World Health Organization. In other words, Americans who have the longest-lasting representative form of government on Earth that's run any size country at all are going to hand over the sovereignty of the United States to these crazy people at the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization, and they're going to say, we don't need to have our point of view represented anymore. We're going to let you make our decisions instead. No, no, we're not, and we don't trust you. And frankly, to say to Americans, you get two or three cups of coffee a year, and that's all you're allowed. And by the way, shut up about your steak. Eat some bugs. Let's go first to Stuart. Hey, Stuart, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, love your show. Hey, Thank I you, just sir. Had to laugh. I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be three cups a week. No, a year. Three <laughs> cups a year. So you you could have it's one hilarious. at Christmas and one on New Year's morning after you've gone out and partied the <laughs> night before, and maybe one on your birthday. That's what you get. There we go. There we go. That's smart rationing. Oh, my God. It's just incredible. But I was going to be a naysayer and say we do need to get rid of coffee. We need to get rid of Starbucks coffee. Well, they have whole, whole acres of, uh, like, uh, of Central America that has been nothing but, you know, um, coffee plantations. But the truth of it is... Plants are good for the atmosphere. Yeah. They they, they eat carbon dioxide that we exhale, right? Yes. Yeah. Furthermore, though, I am reading a book right now uh, from the Independent Institute. Anyway, did I mention that? Yeah, good organization. I wrote a book. It's It's called Hot, Hot, Cold Science, but he clearly explains in there that really any temperature increases we're seeing are all just hocus pocus. Stuart, I appreciate the input. I'm up against a hard break, but thank you for the call. And no. The Lars Larson Show. Starbucks burned beans, we could get rid of that, but not coffee. Two or three cups a year, are you kidding? Looking for more in this world? 